Hi friends, my name is Kayla Hurst and I'm one of the pastors here at Northgate, where we envision transforming our homes, communities, and world by pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. I am so glad that you're here with us today. We're going to spend this summer studying and learning from the parables Jesus told in the Gospels. This week, I'm going to start out with a quick overview about what parables are, and then we'll jump into one that's doing a lot of work on me this week. If you want to dive deeper into the parables of Jesus, we're actually offering a Northgate U class online starting this Tuesday. There's still time to register at thisis.church before the class begins on Tuesday night. Parables are short stories that teach a moral and or spiritual lesson by analogy or similarity. These are often not stories of events that actually happened, but in Jesus' case, they were usually based on a life that was intimately familiar to his original audience. He used scenes that would be common, agriculture, family, celebrations, so that his audience would recognize their own lives and internalize the big truth he was trying to convey. Because of his parables, they were common to the people's experience. They became truths that point to a bigger truth, And they still work that way for today's readers, like you and me. Parables are meant to be approached from different angles because the different characters will bring different perspectives. And just like any good story, they're meant to suck you in. When you can identify with a character, the story comes to life and the meaning is communicated more personally. Important side note here, this is why we value telling stories around here. When you share your story, when you tell others what God has done or is doing in your life, others will identify with you in a way that can lead them to take their next step in their journey with God. It's more than worth it. The parables of Jesus contain a lot of his central teaching, the ways that we know that we know that we know he wants us to think and live and be. In fact, parables comprise a substantial part of Jesus' preaching that we have recorded in the New Testament. Today, we're going to look at a parable from Matthew chapter 16. Matthew is the first of the Gospels, which are in the first four books of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. In chapter 15, Jesus had miraculously fed 4,000 men, not including the women and children, with just seven loaves of bread and a few fish. Right after he did that, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him to test him. They asked for a miraculous sign. Jesus shut them down and went away, not dignifying their request since he'd performed many miracles in front of them before. And that's where we pick up in our text, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Now, going across a lake without any food would be problematic for sure. I'm not sure when they noticed it, but when they did, like the master teacher and discipler that he is, Jesus took that as a teachable moment. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus didn't tell his disciples they were about to learn something at this point. And honestly, you'd think they would have always stayed on their toes. But alas, verse 7, they discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Can't you just see these guys all huddled together, mumbling and shame spiraling because they somehow forgot to bring a picnic? Evidently, they also forgot that Jesus hears everything. Verse 8, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? 
Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Now, this is an honest-to-goodness smack-my-head moment for Jesus and his disciples. He's pointing back to the times he's taking care of their physical needs, even miraculously, and saying, why would, why would I be worried about that? Why would you be worried about that? You're missing the point of what I'm trying to tell you. So he repeats one of the shortest parables in the New Testament one more time for them, verse 11. But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Evidently, that's when it all clicked. Verse 12, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That moment for them was enlightening, and it can be for us too. But we have a little work to do because the world looks a little different for us. There are three things we need to understand for us to glean teaching from this tiny parable. Pharisees, Sadducees, and yeast. In the course of his public ministry, Jesus had a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees and Sadducees. They questioned why he ate with sinners. They accused his disciples of breaking the Sabbath and other religious rules. And remember, they had just tested him by asking him for a miraculous sign. This wasn't the first time Jesus had warned against their teaching either. In fact, in the chapter before this, Jesus had called them the blind leading the blind after they were offended by one of his anti-legalism teachings. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were a religious and political group known for their conservatism. They were strict observers of the law given to Moses in the Old Testament. And they also adopted more rules and traditions that were interpretations, but now they enforced as religious law. They loved the attention, the special treatment, and the religious titles they wore around. In fact, they used their religion to impress people. They did their works to be seen by men and judged others harshly who didn't act and think like them. They were hypocrites, holding people to an impossible standard and often not following through themselves. They made distinctions where God didn't, often preventing others from finding their way to a relationship with the God they worked so hard to be seen as following. The Pharisees stood for the religious and moral authority in their day, and they could be considered the political conservative right. Now hang with me here. Don't turn me off or hoot and holler too loud. Because if the Pharisees were the conservative right, the Sadducees were the political progressive left. They were the religious and political group noted for its liberalism. They included many powerful members of the priesthood, and they were just as staunch about the laws, but only those found in a certain part of Scripture. They didn't believe in the resurrection, or spirits, or angels, or heaven, or hell, or any kind of reward or punishment after death. Jesus charged the Sadducees with two faults, that they didn't know the Scripture, and that they didn't know the power of God. They were heavily influenced by rationalism and assumed that if they couldn't comprehend something, that it could not possibly be true. The Sadducees stood for the wealthy and politically powerful in their day. But here's the interesting piece. In this passage, Jesus doesn't outright condemn the Pharisees, the political conservative right, nor does he outright condemn the Sadducees, the political progressive left. Instead, he issues an honest warning for both. Beware the leaven. So let's talk about leaven for a minute. Leaven, or yeast, is used in the making of bread. Leaven gradually spreads through the dough, making it rise. 
Jesus didn't see leaven itself as bad. In fact, he uses the image of leaven to describe the spread of his kingdom in in Matthew chapter 13. There was also a historical significance of leaven to the Jewish people, his original audience. In the Old Testament, as the Israelites prepared to leave Egypt, God instructed them to make bread without yeast. It signified sin and impurity to them. And when they made bread during Passover every year, they made their bread without leaven and even removed any of it that they had in their homes during the festival. That festival is when they remembered how God delivered them from Egypt and slavery. Leaven throughout the Hebrew scriptures signified impurity. But leaven is a noun and a verb. It's a substance, but it's also a process. And the same is true in our lives as impurity or sin is a solitary thing, but it's also a process of which we have to constantly guard against. And that's what Jesus was warning against here. Jesus refers to the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees without making distinction between the two. In this tiny parable, Jesus offers a thoughtful critique and warning by lumping these two disagreeing sides together. Jesus doesn't outright condemn either side, but he issues a warning for both. And from where I stand, it seems like we haven't gotten ourselves much further down the road when it comes to this conversation. Those two sides always seem to compete for control. Everywhere you look, someone has the answers on how to fix our world. Brilliant! But too often, this mindset is followed by coercion and shame and violence, even though it's wrapped up in an armor of self-righteousness. You see, in the struggle for social justice, morality, success, and even our desire to usher in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, it is natural and common to seek control. The leaven of the Pharisees was control through religious systems and moral righteousness, whereas the leaven of the Sadducees was control through compromise and politicking. Sound familiar? Well, here's the problem. Just like leaven, the insistence of control and authority in either direction gives the appearance of substance, but it's all really just hot air. There is real truth on both sides, and there is real benefit to fighting for truth. But just like yeast, trying to control the narrative may appear to do good, but it's pervasive and corrupting if it's impure, which the need for control always is. Leaven looks like growth and influence, but we have to be careful because influence and growth are dangerous if what is growing isn't pure. We don't want to grow the wrong stuff. We don't want to pour fertilizer on weeds. We should always beware when politics or even religion has us inflating our view of ourselves or fighting for particular agendas. Because leaven is just about the only thing the left and the right agree on. The idea that our world will be saved through any agenda. That there is a way to get us out of this mess through politics or nationalism or even God's unique favor on our country. And that leaven inevitably produces racism and classism and sexism, bigotry and violence every single time. But Jesus. Jesus never really looked for control. Jesus instead looked for places to offer compassion. While Jesus was involved with religious festivals, national parades, and protests, and if he lived in our day, he might have even voted in the elections. But these were not his primary concern, nor did he have hope that these things would usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus warned his disciples, and he is warning us against the leaven that corrupts through agendas seeking to control others. And he's reminding us of his compassion that consistently gave himself away. When we look to the government or other systems to bring about the justice God has called us to do ourselves, we put our faith in their hands. 
Inevitably, the show of force and control that comes from that brings more injustice. The Pharisees looked for control through morals and religion and piety, while the Sadducees swung the other way and looked for control through political power, wealth, and comfort. The more the pendulum swings, the more the kingdom of heaven is pushed to the outside. And that's still true today. When the left and the right fight, Jesus is pushed to the fringes. Jesus' mindset was for a world full of compassion, unity, and goodness. The fruits of the Spirit paint a picture of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sure, this is hard and complicated to cultivate on a worldwide scale, but it's not so far off when we love our neighbor, when we pray for those who persecute us, and when we turn the other cheek, walk the extra mile, and genuinely seek the good of others no matter how backwards we think they are. His words in John chapter 12 give us a picture of the life he calls us to instead. It says this, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Maybe it's time to die to ourselves again, to get humble to drop the need to be in control, the need to always be right. Maybe it's time to die to ourselves so God can produce something greater in and through us. What if, instead of letting the leaven spread rampantly through our hearts, what if instead of carrying the banner for another controlling party, we laid it down and looked at the one hanging over us instead? Let him lead me to the banquet hall and let his banner over me be love. You see, control is never love. And when we seek to control others, we end up enslaving ourselves. But when we seek to liberate others through service, humility, and offering dignity, we find true freedom for ourselves. It's an evil lie to believe and behave as though we can find freedom for ourselves through the control and suppression of others. Let his banner over me, over you, over us, be love. Religion and politics never deliver the kingdom of heaven. Jesus does. And he does it through people. Jesus fed the 4,000 with plenty left over. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he and his disciples had this conversation on the heels of that miracle. Consider this. Maybe we need Jesus to fill us so we won't be misled by our own hunger. Maybe we need to be filled with Jesus more than we need to be filled with polls and argument and opinions that will help us concoct our quick-witted zingers that stun our opponents. What if, instead of confidence in our positions, we were confident in love, confident in Christ, confident that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not holding people's sins against them, and confident that he has given us the message of reconciliation? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I assure you, our hope is not in any political agenda or even the country we live in. Our hope is in Jesus, and his banner over me is love. So let's get busy with that. Let's get busy pursuing God through his word and worship and prayer. Get into a Northgate U class where you'll dive into scripture and learn how to apply it to your life. You can learn more and sign up for one of five classes by going to our website. 
Let's get busy building community and creating space in our life to connect with others so they can connect with God. Get into a community group or start one of your own with people you already know, your coworkers, your kids' soccer buddies, the neighbors that you've been stuck next to for the last 12 weeks. Invite them over for food and conversation and to watch service with you. We want to partner with you in that. We want to make it easy. Just text I'm in to 94000 or go to our website and fill out the form on our front page. We'll send you a gift card to help cover some of the food costs. Everything goes better with food, friends. And, and let's get busy unleashing compassion, being the hands and feet of Jesus, loving our neighbor and pouring out the love he has poured onto each of us. Come serve at the food bank in SF. Give generously. Jump in and serve with our students and kids. Look for needs and fill them. Beware of the leaven, friends. After all, as the prophet Micah simply put it, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. Father, we ask that you would put in us your spirit and that that would lead us to love the world like you do. God, allow our allegiance to only be to you. Help us live like the banner over us is love. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.